she said, so how would you treat yourself if you were somebody else? Like if you were a dear friend or if you were talking to a child who felt this way. And I, and I would like envision my little sister who um, I think at the time she was 11. If I heard my sister tell me that she was going through this, I would want her to be more, I guess, okay with, with herself. And so it was kind of that framework that I've kind of taken with me. Tell me, tell me, tell me what's a life. I've been feeling starstruck, seeing human love thrive in this really long dust. Guess it's really all love, seven billion of us, and I read the headlines. Tell me, tell me, tell me what's a life? It's part luck, surveillance, corn shuck the conscience, hot sauce, blood diamonds. Everybody pitching in for red with silence. Hi, I'm Michael. And I'm Obasi. So, My friend Michael and I have come into adulthood watching our world become more and more polarized. From political polarization, to income inequality, to how we even define what is real. It it feels like we need some type of meta-solution. Regardless of the issue, like, how do we come back together? How do we reconcile? What does it look like to make peace? And at the same time, the world hasn't literally fallen apart yet, so people must be making peace on some level. So that's where we want to start. We want to learn who's making peace and how, and how we can apply that to the rest of our world. So join us as we try to find everyday peacemakers and learn what peacemaking means to them. Each episode, we'll learn one principle of peacemaking from our guest. These are featured as a growing tribute to our guests and their wisdom at principlesofpeacemaking.org. Today we're hearing from Diana, a friend of ours who tells the story of her relationship with herself, her body, and eating. She talks about a loudness within herself and the ways in which noticing this loudness and allowing it to be heard led to her making peace with herself, which leads to this episode's principle of peacemaking. Notice the loudness. I guess just to sort of introduce the topic, I am thinking of talking about my experience with an eating disorder. And to me, I was kind of thinking about what peace means to me. And when I think of peace, I think of of quiet, I guess, and, and sort of that calm feeling that you have. And so the biggest um, the biggest experience I had of like loudness, I guess, was um, going through an eating disorder and having these like conflicts with myself. Um, and I also wanted to kind of as a disclaimer, just say, in case there is anybody like listening, uh, I was going to try to avoid like triggering language. So for me, that means like avoid talking about specific like specific weights or like t- going into detail about what kind of habits I was doing, I guess, Um but so I wanted to tell you guys that and you're also welcome to ask any questions that you want. And I just just so you know, if I end up being vague um, about certain things that I don't want to talk about, that that's the reason. But um, but I just wanted to tell you before we get into it. Yeah. And yeah. also feel free to let us know if we've asked something that used some sort of triggering language. Totally, totally. And then it can also you know be different for different people. So. So, yeah. Right. I appreciate it. Um, definitely. When I was a kid, I knew that I was bigger than other kids. And I think part of that was that I was tall. Um, and I was also like heavy, um, which I knew from like doctor's appointments and things like that. And then 
over the course of years and sort of getting more aware of, of these things, really it was doctor's appointments that made me start thinking about it more. And so in middle school, I started exercising more and, you know, my family was encouraging me to eat healthier um, and think about losing weight or maybe staying the same weight as you grow, which, um, you know, is something that kids, kids often do. My, my dad and my brother and I were kind of, kind of as a bonding activity, we would weigh ourselves regularly and, and sort of like track our progress because my, my dad was trying to lose weight and my brother, I guess, was sort of, I, I don't think he was trying to lose weight, but we were just kind of all being more conscious of these things together. And I remember that the first time I weighed myself with the intention of kind of doing this over time, I, I was disgusted, I guess, by the, the number that I saw on the scale. And I remember saying to myself, like, that I'm never going to let myself go back to weighing that much again. And that was kind of the start of my, like, I guess when we talk about quietness and loudness, that was kind of the start of my maybe anger or like dissatisfaction at myself and at my body. And so I started making rules for myself, following certain rules. I know a lot of people talk about willpower and weight loss and how oh, it's so hard for me to give up certain foods. And I didn't feel like I had that problem. I felt like I could, you know, just decide that I wasn't going to eat certain things. And I, for me, I, I started following like a pretty restrictive diet. Um, there were a lot of foods that I wouldn't eat ever. Um, and I, I, I lost several pounds. Um, I, I stayed, you know, at a, at a weight that was lower. Um, I felt, I felt good about it. And I remember feeling like maybe I wasn't thinking about food that much. And like food is just fuel. Like you see in a lot of like fitness people's, uh, uh, forums. And it was definitely like a, a positive thing for me. It wasn't that stressful. Um, there were definitely times when I would, like, I remember I did this like challenge with my dad where we, decided that we, I kind of forget like if it was that all of these things were cut out or like we would only eat these things. But the end result was that we were kind of both doing this very restrictive diet together. And I think we had like a, a bet going for who could do it longer. And it was like a fun challenge. And so I remember going to a friend's, like a sleepover at a friend's house and they were having pasta for dinner. And I was like, oh, well, I'm doing this thing with my, with my dad where I can't have the pasta. So like, can I just have is, is there anything else that you have? And like, we looked at her fridge together and I ended up having like these ham and cheese roll-ups that I made, like she had cold cuts and I would just have that. And obviously that's like not to have just like one slice of ham is not a lot of food. So I remember like having that and then an hour later getting like really hungry again and then having more of that. Um, and I just remember being so hungry, but that was like, that was more when things were more, I guess, well-adjusted. And, and before things got a little bit worse. I guess there's one point that I remember like pretty vividly, which was a kind of a turning point, um, which is when I was, I was on vacation, I was with my family and we were visiting relatives for, for Christmas and we were in a hotel and I like, I saw a bag of cookies sitting out and it was, I mean, I remember exactly what it looked like, but it was a bag of cookies that my aunt had made and she makes every year. And interestingly, I don't even love these cookies, which 
So when I think about it, it's like kind of telling that it wasn't that I really wanted them or anything. But I remember having one. I think I was just thinking like, you know, I might as well try one. And I guess I don't really need to get into the details of like everything that happened. But that like one cookie led to me eating a lot that night. And it's not that that was like the first time that I had had a lot of food. Like, I mean... all of my friends from growing up and also all my friends now know that like I eat a lot of food, but, um, but it was like, I think that that's one of the first times that I remember sort of being compulsive in this, like, I'm going to try to eat as much as I can. And, and, and especially like in future episodes of this, like, um, it was sometimes with this, like either deliberate or not deliberate goal of like hurting myself (laughs) with like the discomfort that that caused. Um, And that was also the first time that I remember feeling like I should punish myself um, by like not eating or by exercising or or whatever. So that was winter of my senior year of high school. So this phase that I'm I'm thinking of as like the worst phase um, was my senior spring in high school. And then also my first semester of college, my freshman fall, um, where there was Basically, I would start the day telling myself that I had to make up for the previous day's uh, binge, I guess, although I don't really think of it that way. But um, and so today I'm going to, you know, not eat or like exercise a lot or or whatever. And I would I would make rules um, that I think were like stricter and and a little bit more uh, like whereas before it you know, it's okay if you're at a party and you have a piece of pizza. It, it was not, I didn't feel like it was okay anymore. And then often after like following all these rules very strictly over the course of a day, maybe late at night, I would have kind of a shift in attitude and I'd be like, what the hell? And maybe break the rules. And specifically, it wasn't just like having one, uh, like one cookie or, or whatever, but I like specifically wanted to, break the rules so spectacularly it was kind of like I wanted to get back at my like get back at myself at at the part of myself that had made the rules in the first place so I would do that it would be um quite unpleasant emotionally and then afterwards I would be like really really upset because I would be in like physical pain first of all and then um and then also because there is this sense that I was working towards something and I had just like ruined everything that I had, like ruined all the progress that I had made over the course you, of the day. Do you think that, um, and maybe this is impossible to answer, but which one do you think came first? Like giving yourself rules that you felt the need to rebel against because they were too difficult or the like binging and then feeling out of control. And so like cracking down on yourself with rules. Yeah, um, that's a good question. And I, I feel like I think, I think about that a decent amount or, or when I'm thinking about this, I think about it a decent amount. Um, I think that they definitely inform each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I, I was going to talk about this more that like, I sort of felt like there were two versions of me, like there was in, in the worst like period. Um, there is a version of me that was like, almost like a mad parent, like getting mad at myself for, for having eaten too much the day before, or for 
not having the body that I wanted and, and as like a punishment, I should, um, whatever the case may be like not eat at all or like exercise until I've burned this many calories or exercise for this amount of time. Um, and then, and that was like the parent part of me. And then the, like, there was this other character within myself that was like a, a child that couldn't or didn't want to follow those rules and then would kind of rebel by, um, by eating a lot, by like binging. And I guess, I don't know if I have one answer, but one thing that I definitely noticed was that I would, sometimes I would try a new tactic. Like I would, I would wake up in the morning and instead of being like, okay, now I'm really going to lay it on. I'm going to make, make the rules even stricter. Um, sometimes I would think to myself, like, you know, I, like, I understand that this happened, but I really want to make sure this doesn't happen again. And like the parent part of me, I guess, would be thinking, you know what, let's, let's start with something small. Like maybe let's eat breakfast, but make it a healthy breakfast. And like trying to be a little bit more positive, I guess. And at the time I felt like that didn't work. <laughs> like I, I felt like I would start off doing that and then it would still lead to the kind of uh, rebellion thing later. So I, I guess I'm not sure. I do think one other thing I was going to say was that I have had times in my life, like that time where I like ate the cookies was not the first time that I had eaten a bunch and been really full after. So it's not that like just having that sense of being uncomfortably full was what uh, sent me into the like kind of spiral that I discussed. But then at the same time I had had, I had had rules that I was following beforehand and it's not like, and it's not like I immediately started kind of going to the cycle. So I think maybe it was just a buildup, but, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if it was really like one leading to the other. I didn't think that I had an eating disorder <laughs> uh, because I did, I wasn't like skinny and I wasn't, I don't know, like starving yourself for weeks or, and I, and I never um, made myself throw up, which I think would have made me think that maybe I did have an eating disorder. Um, so I think what changed was that there, there are two conversations, I guess, that led me to get help and, and get better. Uh, one conversation was there was a teacher in my high school who I, I went into her office and um, I don't really remember exactly what we talked about, except that I was crying for a lot of it. And, you know, I think I kind of said that there was something going on with like my relationship with with food or with my body. And the biggest thing that I remember her doing is saying that I was doing the right thing by talking to her about it. And she also like validated real hard like that she she knew that it can be really painful to like sit down next to someone and be comparing the size of, of your thigh to their thigh. And like, I remember her saying that and being like, oh my God, that is exactly what I do all the time. And it just felt good to like, I, I had, I had told a friend of mine that I thought there, that I might have some like problem. And that friend had been like, I don't really think you do. And so to hear somebody say like, no, this can be really unpleasant and you're doing the right thing by talking to me. That, that was big. And then I think that, led me to feel more comfortable when in college I ended up reaching out to this student who was a senior and she um, she had told the story at orientation about her experience with an eating disorder and so I reached out to her 
saying like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I'm going through something similar, but like, do you want to talk? And so she, she did. And she ultimately like helped me to start seeing a counselor regularly. And then like that led to seeing a psychologist and a nutritionist. And it's really, um, I guess really the point of this story was kind of the lessons that I learned from the counselor and also the nutritionist a little bit that made me kind of want to share this story in particular with you guys, because I, I think about the things that they taught me pretty often. And I think it kind of helped me develop that sense of like calmness or contentment within myself. So yeah, I, I started seeing a counselor for, I think that whole year, maybe a little bit more that, that I started college. And I would talk about how I would get really mad at myself for not following certain rules and also for, for not like looking the way that I wanted to look or not, I guess, having a body that didn't match like the body that I wanted to have. And I guess one of the things that I remember talking about with her, which I think this is maybe where I got the parent-child analogy from, but she, I think I was describing like all of the emotional distress I was in. And then she, she said, so how would you treat yourself if you were somebody else? Like if you were a dear friend or if you were talking to a child who felt this way and I, and I would like envision my little sister who um, I think at the time she was 11. And I started thinking about like how I feel about other people. And, you know, like if you see somebody else on the street, it doesn't matter to you like what they look like, right? Or like, or whether they have the wherewithal to survive on like only spinach or whatever. You know, of course these were like my goals at the time, but I was thinking like if my, if I heard my sister tell me that she was going through this, I would be like, I, I would just feel bad, I guess, for her. And I would, I would want her to be more, I guess, okay with, with herself. And so it was kind of that framework that I've kind of taken with me. And, and I feel like it has also helped me when I think about other challenges too. Like sometimes I, if I'm like sensing that kind of pain in myself or, or just if I'm, you know, upset or angry, I'll like literally go to a mirror and talk about how I'm feeling and, then respond as if I'm like the supportive friend. <laughs> so yeah, so that, that was one thing that I, that I've learned a lot. And then the other thing that I wanted to mention was, um, so I talked to this nutritionist and she kind of specialized in mindful eating. And at first when we were talking about mindful eating, I interpreted it as eating whatever you want. And I felt like that was leading to me um, eating a lot of things. Like I would, it's almost like I had this newfound freedom. And so I'm going to make the most of it by like eating a lot of food all the time. Cause I'm just right. eating whatever I want now. And that was based off of this assumption that whatever you want means everything that's against the rules before. Um, and so I think over the course of kind of talking to this nutritionist more, I started thinking of it more as, as I sort of listened to the the child inside me. And I feel like I've gotten pretty good at understanding, like, or maybe asking that child follow-up questions like, okay, you're saying that you're hungry. Is it that you need food or is it that you are kind of bored and would like a snack? And if it's that you need food, that's okay. And if it's that you're kind of bored and would like a snack, that's okay. Is it that you really need, like, are you craving this particular thing? And especially that will happen to me sometimes where I feel really hungry, but I also can feel that I don't really want anything except for peanut butter. <laughs> and so I think even broader than intuitive eating, I almost, I was, 
I've been thinking about it more in terms of like one's relationship with oneself. Cause I do think that like my dissatisfaction with myself was what led to those strict rules in the first place. And I think relaxing my relationship with myself a little bit more was what allowed me to, to listen to that child part of me a little bit more and, and be more intuitive, if that makes sense. And in terms of cultivating peace within myself, I think the biggest thing that I learned from her, she, she gave me kind of a homework assignment where I was supposed to take a deep breath um, before I started eating. And maybe it was supposed to last like three seconds or five seconds or something. And, you know, I guess I had maybe described this to her already, but sometimes I have this like fight or flight activation when I am getting food or when I start eating. And I, I still notice that I have it now. And I think maybe like maybe that sensation started because I like eating and I was like excited to, to have food. But I think it also contributes to like my feelings when I'm in the middle of kind of a binge and like feeling like I have to eat as much as I can. And so I think one challenge was just noticing when I'm having that feeling, which took a really long time. But over time, I think the ability to notice that became a little bit more, a little bit more of something that, that I was aware of. And then and then the next step was noticing and then also being able to just take take a deep breath. And, you know, sometimes that didn't help, but um, but sometimes it did. And, and that's a big thing that I I mean, I still do that if I notice myself, if I, if I notice that I'm particularly activated. And, you know, I mean, like I, I learned other tricks from them, like more than just just those ones. And, and of course, there was also a lot of like talking through my mindsets about myself and thinking about my relationship with myself. And I guess at the time it sort of felt like nothing was working and I was just going through the motions of doing this. But over the course of months and years, I started noticing that I wasn't falling into that same cycle anymore. I really like how you chose this story as your story of peacemaking for for a couple of reasons. One being that you could frame this story as like overcoming an eating disorder as like it's you versus the disorder. But I think that it is more realistic to view it as a story of making peace with yourself. Because when you make peace, peace is never, you know, finished. It's it's a like state that you cultivate and that you hopefully stay in. But it's not a thing that you accomplish and you're done. Um, and I think that it's really cool to think of any sort of, you know, disordered thinking as a as a question of, of, of being at peace with the self. Um, so I think that that's super cool. I also think it's really interesting that you, one way that you make that peace is by humanizing yourself. So by like looking at, looking at yourself in the mirror or thinking about how you would respond to yourself if you were somebody else, um, like a, a different human that you can see as as human. Because I think that a lot of peacemaking is 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 about humanizing, and I think it's it's really interesting to think that that same process happens when peacemaking with the self. That you you have to see yourself as a human who's like deserving of your love and who you you treat in a certain understanding way. Yeah, yeah, I definitely felt like the seeing yourself as a deserving human was was kind of big. Like, I, I think that first conversation that I had with my teacher was very 
like, I, I keep using the word validation because like, of course, I majored in psychology and then I volunteered at a suicide hotline and now I'm in medical school. And like, we learn in all of these places about, you know, empowering people and, and telling them that like, yes, the way that you're feeling is important and, and real. But um, in my case, I felt like when she kind of responded to my pain with this, uh, like, yes, this is real, this is hard. And like, it's the, it's the right thing for you to be looking for, for help in dealing with this. I think that was kind of, but before that point, I hadn't really been seeing myself as, as the person that you're, that you're describing, like seeing a person that is, is worthy of feeling better than they are. And I was wondering, so I, I agree with Obasi that I love this story. And what I really appreciated and found really interesting was your, your marking. This is, this is a conversation that was a catalyst for change. And I found that really interesting. And, and I was trying to think about it in, in terms of quiet and loudness. And particularly in that conversation with the teacher, you said that you had talked to a friend who was kind of like, I, I don't see it. And this teacher was like, I see it. And in terms of loudness, if you're trying to say there's something loud in me, it's I hear it. And the teacher said, I hear it. And I'm, I'm wondering if we could say, you know, moving from your story to thinking together about what peace is, um, if we could say that for you, one of the first sources of peace was outside. I think that's right. I think it's like the way that I felt at the time was I, I had this kind of bubbling yeah, loudness inside me. And I remember texting my best friend as kind of an attempt to, it's almost like if you have like a boiling pot of water and you want to like pour a little bit into another pot just so it doesn't boil over. You know what I mean? Like right. I, I was sort of trying to give some of it to her and, um, and, you know, she, she was one of my best friends for a really long time. And, um, but in this particular moment, she sort of said, no, thank you. <laughs> or no, I disagree that your pot is boiling. And so that just, I remember like my reaction to that, like I almost felt like it was even louder inside me after having that conversation. And so to have exactly like you said, that like external person saying, yes, I hear you. And like, this is, this is real. I think that in itself just allowed me to like, or, you know, it's almost like maybe the pot was boiling with a closed lid. And so you take off the lid and like let a little bit of, of that steam come out. And like that, um, I really do think that was like pivotal um, in terms of seeing my own problems as like an actual problem. When you first said that you think of peace in terms of quietness and loudness, that struck me as different from, from how I thought of peace. Um, because I think that a lot of times, you know, like even like with the George Floyd protests, there there's a type of peace or, or something that looks like peace when things are quiet. And then there's a, a type of peacemaking that is really loud um, where, where people like come together and start shouting. Um, and I think that's, that's part of the process of peacemaking. And I, it was like difficult for me at first to understand how I mean, because of course, peace is calm, um, so peace is quiet. But but how those things fit, and I think it's really interesting now hearing you say this that like, like that moment of talking to your teacher, all of the loudness was internal, was inside of you, and then when you actually like vocalized that 
loudness like made a sound um, that was when the internal loudness or the loudness that was under the surface was able to be quieted you said that like you just started to think about it less and less that, that, that it became less of an issue over over the course of months or years there's this sense of like this urgency and this loudness where like inside of you this was something that you were that that your mind kept bringing up and that was like a constant like like noise in the back of your mind and then the piece that you get now is it, it comes from vocalizing that noise but it becomes a piece of there is no longer this noise and i find that just really really interesting the idea that that loudness can be on the inside i don't know if you've seen this quote that's been circulating about um racism it's it's from tony morrison I, I just Googled it. The very serious function of racism is distraction. It keeps you from doing your work. It keeps you explaining your reason for being. It, it, you know, it keeps you doing all these other things. And I think that's sort of how I think about the idea of like loudness and, and slash noise versus quiet, because I totally agree with what you were saying about like the Black Lives Matter protests and the protests over George Floyd's death. Like, I think physically making noise is of course very important but i think the bigger noise is the racism that led these things to happen so in terms of my internal noise that i had inside myself that's like the constant the constant noise that a lot of people experience all the time that like stops them from doing the things that they might be doing if we lived in a perfect world where there wasn't any like any racism at all just you know to also comment on Abbasi, your last point. I, I liked the analogy with the Black Lives Matter protests because you do see that loudness that's not getting heard. It's like the no thank you, I don't hear it or I don't see it, uh, like Diana said with the boiling pot. And uh, that made me think about if the source of peace had to you know, start from outside of saying I hear it, then maybe the, the path to peace was relationship and that this idea of, you know, talking to yourself in the mirror and having these ways of humanizing yourself, it's also like ways of being in relationship with yourself. And with the Black Lives Matter protests, there's kind of this, this block to being in relationship with the rest of society, which goes back to having a social contract with the society or not. But I'm just thinking about what we've talked about and these ideas of having this kind of external source of I hear your loudness and finding ways of coming into relationship with yourself. And I'm thinking about if someone were listening and were kind of at the beginning of their own journey of quieting the loudness and not silencing the loudness, but, but finding some sort of peaceful, peaceful quiet towards it, where would we, and particularly you, Diana, recommend they start. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is kind of where that noticing comes in. Like for me, the first step was noticing when I was in a certain mental state and like hearing the loudness within myself or maybe feeling my heart pounding. Or I remember like, like there was a moment when I was in college and I like had had some food that was off limits. And I remember, um, noticing the moment when it became like, okay, this is going to be like an episode or a, a binge or something. And I think 
that skill that I later learned was noticing those moments and then maybe taking a, a deep breath and slowing down in them. But I think the first step is noticing because, you know, noticing that there isn't <laughs> peace right now. Um, because at least for me, it was really hard to notice until afterwards, until after I was like really upset. And I, I really think that the most important fundamental step, which took like a long time for me was being aware of that internal uh, noise level and being able to at least reflect on it. And then later, once I had kind of become more able to do that, I, I could maybe sometimes interfere. But I think noticing the conflict was the first thing that happened to me and is also, maybe it does also relate to kind of external <laughs> sources of, of loudness as well. Tell me, tell me, tell me what's a life I've been feeling starstruck Seeing human love thrive in this really long dust Guess it's really our love Seven billion of us And I read the headlines Tell me, tell me, tell me what's a life It's pot luck, surveillance Constructor conscience Hot sauce, blood diamonds Everybody pitching in folks red with silence We already ate up that cone bread of kindness Something in between We got stories in our stories Knowing stories what it seems As we stumble, as we fall We watch each other and we scream If our weaknesses are glory It's more glory to be seen This has been the Peacemakers Podcast Produced and hosted by me, Obasi Shah And my co-host, Michael O'Brien The intro and outro song, What's a Life Is by me and produced by Eerie Skies The interludes are produced by Gabe Gladstein Of the pop duo, Running On Everything if you liked this episode and want to reflect more, come visit our website at principlesofpeacemaking.org, where you can find more of our content and information on how to support us. Our guest today was Diana Smith. Thanks, Diana. And thank you for listening. Now go and make peace.